Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate Thurston, and across the desk from me is Charles Chuck Thompson. How's it going today, Chuck? Hey, it's going great. This is not an ad, by the way, but I am wearing my We the People Hosters t-shirt today. It's okay if I, it's an ad. That I picked up. Well, no, it's not. We're live. We can't do we're, an ad. Yeah, we're live with the group, so it's not an ad. I'm just saying I like the shirt. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I bought more of them. And if you wanted to get $10 off a shirt, the link is in our show notes. Well, actually go listen to an old episode where we yeah. did the ad. Yeah, so a couple just, episodes ago. All I'm saying is I like the shirt. Mm-hmm. It looks good on you. It's a I'm nice a shirt. shirt liker from We the People. <laughs> it's Habitu- a- uh, habitually liking the shirts. I was watching. Just wanted to let you know that. I was watching this show. Not a personal story here. This is for anyone. Here we go. I was watching the show on Amazon and they were hunting these domestic terrorists of course it was like this white supremacist terror cell uh that was doing some terrible things and the way they pinpointed them was they had gadsden tattoos on the back of their necks Mm. and i was like gosh dang it evil Uh, evil uh, mother evil okay we got magic charlie you you get to kick us off because it's about legal proceedings and you are our legal analyst for the show (laughs) the official GML legal analyst is going to tell yeah. you all about Bill Cosby. If the kids don't know who that is, that's the guy from the Jello commercial. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what, what he's, he's most known. That's for. what he's most known for. Yeah, yeah. fudge pops apparently too. <laughs> this is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. We talk about life, liberty, and pseudo meaning. Hit that subscribe button, smash it, or the follow button. We are not liable for any phone damage whatsoever. Just letting you know that the lawyers made me set it. Yeah, they made me set it. They sure made me set it. Yeah. The lawyers. You did set it, and you, I couldn't um, have said it. I couldn't have said is it better than you. I know. Okay, that's what well. They, that's what they be saying now. We, we got the awkward intro out of the way. Hit that subscribe button and uh, share the show. Here we go. Diving right into the latest breaking news today. Bill, Cro- Bill Cosby, uh, not Crosby, Bill <laughs> Cosby is freed from prison. His sex conviction overturned. Now, this is very interesting folks. Um, so we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit and we'll, we'll discuss. Okay. Pennsylvania's highest court threw out Bill Cosby's sexual assault conviction and released him from prison Wednesday in a stunning reversal of fortune for the comedian once known as America's dad or <laughs> I'm not going to say America's it. daddy. Is <laughs> that's, that's so bad. That is terrible. Ruling that the prosecutor who brought the case was bound by his predecessor's agreement not to charge Cosby. Cosby, who's 83, had served nearly three years of his three to 10 year sentence. That's another reason why they did this, by the way. Hmm. So he served almost three years of his three to 10 year sentence. He was going to get out after three years, probably. After being found guilty of drugging and violating Temple University Sports Administration uh, Administrator Andrea Constand. And... At his suburban Philadelphia home in 2004, he was the first celebrity tied and convicted in the Me Too era. Mm. The former Cosby Show star was arrested. That's what he's known for. The Cosby Show (laughs) was arrested in 2015 when a DA armed with newly unsealed evidence, the comics damaging deposition in a lawsuit filed by Constan brought charges against him days before the 12 year statute of limitations was about to run out. Now, that's one thing I find disturbing that there's a statute of limitations on sexual assault. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of states have started repealing theirs. Um, 
Virginia and some others. Um, if somebody's wronged you, how can there be some kind of statute of limitations like that? It does seem a little weird. I don't understand that. Um, but the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said Wednesday that District Attorney Kevin Steele, who made the decision to arrest Cosby, was obligated to stand by his predecessor's promise not to charge Cosby, even though there was no evidence that promise was ever put in writing. Justice David Weck, writing for a split court, said Cosby had relied on the former district attorney's decision not to charge him when the comedian gave his potentially incriminating testimony in Constance's civil case. The justices said that overturning the conviction and barring any further prosecution, so not only are they overturning it, they're <laughs> barring any further prosecution, quote, is the only remedy that comports with society's reasonable expectations of its elected prosecutors and our criminal justice system. As Cosby was set free from the state prison in suburban Montgomery County, his appeals lawyer, Jennifer Bojean, Bonjean, said Cosby should have never been prosecuted. Quote, District attorneys can't change it up simply because of their political motivation, she said, adding that Cosby remains in excellent health apart from being legally blind. Mm-hmm. Questioned under oath, so this is, what, this is what happened here. Questioned under oath as part of that lawsuit, Cosby said he used... Uh, he used to offer quaaludes to women he wanted to have sex with. He eventually settled with Constan for $3.4 million. Cosby in the deposition acknowledged giving quaaludes to a 19-year-old woman before having sex with her at a Las Vegas hotel in 1976. Cosby called the encounter consensual. So there's a few ways that this can go, um, which is the... I have an issue with this based on uh, based on the legality because uh, Cosby never signed an uh, an immunity. He never he never signed immunity. He never signed um, a, a the the promise. He never signed anything stating that he would not be criminally prosecuted for what he for what evidence that he gave himself in his deposition in a civil case. Remember, there's two different sides of court, civil and criminal, right? Um, criminal, you go to jail. Civil is not necessarily something that you've done wrong, really. It's somebody, or not, not something you've broken a law with civilly. It's something that you've either breached a contract or you've wronged somebody in some way. They've t- they're taking you to civil court for punitive damages. So you're not, saying not that Co- Cosby's getting out because he made an oral agreement? Oh, is that what happened? Oh, y'all. Thanks, man. Nice one, Amanda. That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. And and so if he was going to now the, the fifth amendment protects you from, from incriminating yourself, right? You have the right to, to plead the fifth. You have the right not to testify against yourself. So you have the right not to incriminate yourself. Even if you did do something, you have a right not to say anything. And, but, but to me, since he, he wasn't given immunity or wasn't given any sort of written agreement or promise from the state that they weren't going to prosecute him in a criminal case after the civil case was, was filed, then he, then he told the truth and he should, uh, he should pay for that. Yeah. In my opinion. My, my biggest issue, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, but my biggest issue is I don't like that the DA made this deal to begin with. I have an issue with a lot of different plea deals that DAs make. 
and also think that plea deals are used to get people to sign and confess to something a lot of times where they didn't do the crime. So I, re- I really don't like a lot of the deals that they use. And that could um, be possible in this case. It, to settle the case, they could have just said, I mean, it could have been said, the, the, the uh, attorney could have said, hey, if you'll just admit guilt, we're not going to prosecute you, but we'll, we'll agree to settle the case if you just admit yeah. guilt. And, and he goes, oh, okay, well, I'll just admit it then and whatever. He also says at the end here that, you know, the giving of the quaaludes and having sex was consensual uh, in his mind. He called the encounter consensual, but he did, he did admit to giving quaaludes to women and, and then having sex with them. But he so, said he didn't see anything wrong with that. So, you know, he is blind. But uh, the, the other thing I have is, uh, you know, you could say if you made this agreement, here's what I don't like about it. I don't like that you can do a civil case and you could admit that you committed a crime against another person and get immunity from criminal prosecution on that. And I realize that you can make that deal and that's how they got him to confess to it and everything. Um, I don't like the fact that the deal was made in the first place because in our justice system, there is supposed to be some justice done whenever you do something to harm another person. And I don't like that you can make a that you can make a deal to essentially be immune from something that you're admitting to doing, unless maybe you're you're getting someone higher up in tr- who was running the whole thing, who paid me to do this, you know, who's the actual orchestrator of the whole. In this case, it was him who was uh, orchestrating the whole thing. So that doesn't really apply right there. Well, typically that has to be approved by the victim. Yeah, those, and those deals do. And maybe to get the settlement, maybe maybe she was okay with that. I'm I'm not really sure, but I just don't like being able to get yourself immunity on the actual criminal prosecution because that makes it like a, if you imagine a wrongful death lawsuit and you end up doing that because they couldn't charge you with a crime, and then the wrongful death lawsuit you admit to killing the person and in a civil suit yeah. in a in the in the actual civil suit, and then you can't be you can't actually be charged and punished for, for killing the person. I mean, it's just, it's really weird to me that you'd be able to make that plea deal and get out of actually serving the time that you need to serve to do that. And maybe the family, if those are, the family is okay with the money and they're okay with doing that, apparently, if, if that's a thing. But what about the actual victim in the crime? If it were a wrongful death civil lawsuit, was the victim okay with you not going to prison because they paid your family money, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so that, it bothers me that you're able to do this. So while I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm completely, uh, I'm completely upset about what the higher court did in this case, if they did have it, say video evidence or something like that of the well, DA. And it also can separate the rich from the poor by, mm-hmm. by Crosby's able to pay $3.4 million to settle civilly and admit guilt and and be immune from criminal prosecution as mm-hmm. this court has now decided. Yeah. So. Yeah, and in this case, Joe, what I was saying, you know, is using the wrongful death and the victim themselves not getting the money, the family being okay with it. And so the victim did get paid money in this circumstance. So it's a little bit different from the wrongful death thing I was talking about where the victim can't be paid any money and it's the family that's taking money and being okay with it. So it's not a perfect analogy. Uh, I just, I don't... I don't really like the idea that if you essentially have the money to pay out someone because you did something wrong to them, then you would be immune from the actual criminal prosecution. And in that sense, you would create different classes where if you have money, you could end up paying your way out of serving the time. 
And if you don't have any money to get in a, in a civil case, well, then you end up going to prison for it. And so the, the, whole, the whole thing just really bothers me. But what the higher court did, if they have video evidence that the DA told him that he was not going to be prosecuted, that he had immunity, they just didn't put it in writing, video evidence of them doing that in a deposition room, something like that, then, then that's a little bit different. And maybe the higher court did the right thing by honoring what the legal system told him they were going to do. Because there is also that side of it. Like if the legal... Yeah, the government lying If to the you. government says, hey, if you admit to this, we're not going to prosecute you for it, okay? You're going to pay out this person and we're not going to charge you. All right? And then they end up charging you because the news of the lawsuit breaks and they have a lot of political pressure to, to charge you. Then that's not exactly a good thing to have either. Where my problem is, is the entire deal being made in the first place. So that's really all I have on it. And it's possible um, that Cosby may have never incriminated himself if there wasn't a deal in place. Mm -hmm. That's possible. And then how do you prove it? But uh, look, I didn't even know what a Quaalude was until I watched Wolf of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Did you? Um. You know, never heard of Quaaludes until I watched Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, I think I'd heard it before, but I'd never accurately seen the effects before. But it seems like <laughs> the, they were popular back in the yeah, 70s yeah, and thing. 80s. A lot of Quaaludes going on, folks. <laughs> so let us know your thoughts on that. Um, again, and he, was, he had served three years of his three to ten year sentence, so he was probably going to get out anyway. He had just been denied parole, actually. Oh, really? Right, yeah. Well, he was probably going to get out soon. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. He's 83. Uh, I don't think he's much of a threat anymore. He can't see. It, it, it appears that he's legally blind. Um, and I, I think what he did was wrong. I, I think that you... That's a bold statement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he admitted to the crime. And yeah. The crime is wrong. <clears throat> yeah. It's not, it's not okay to sexually assault anybody. So I would agree with that. So, but Official it's a, stance. But it's, an inter- it's interesting how all these deals get done inside of government. Like you watch these TV shows where all these, where they're wheeling and dealing. Mm-hmm. And they really do wheel and deal all the time. Probably more than what the TV shows even show. Yeah. I mean, I've got some personal stories to go with this, but I'm not, <laughs> not going to put it in there. Um, no, I'll, I'll tell you, I have a friend of mine who's, um, who's a lawyer. Won't mention any names. But uh, when... There, there was a particular situation going on. I remember him going to the prosecution and, and basically being like, okay, what do you got? The prosecution would be like, okay, well, here's what I got. He's like, well, this is, and the prosecution's like, this is what I want. And the lawyer and the defense lawyer's like, well, I'm, he's not going to do that, that, or that, but he'll do this and we'll, so we'll make a deal. And they're like, yeah, make a deal. It's literally wheeling and dealing. Yeah. It's insane. And a lot of that has to do with it being backed up and all of that stuff, but it's backed up mainly because there's a bunch of stupid laws on the books that we could get rid of and clear the dockets so that we can focus on actual crimes. Like I think sexual assault's an actual crime. You're violating someone's privacy. That's an actual crime that we should be investigating and prosecuting, not, uh, not setting up entire courts for traffic violations or uh, drug offenses and all that. So there's a, there's a big problem with the system uh, in and of itself that I think uh, a lot of a lot of this type of thing wouldn't even be a story if the system itself wasn't so broken. It's a it's a it it is a pretty imperfect system. Uh, I will say it that way. And there's a lot of incentives for a lot of bad things to happen. But 
<clears throat> like Charlie said, send us an email if you have any other thoughts on that. Just a quick story that we added them right there. Um, this one came from the Patreon group who sends these things in via the Discord server that they have access to because they become Patreon supporters for as little as five bucks a month. So this was a really interesting idea here, interesting article. Burnsville may let residents designate some of their taxes to fund police and other services. So they're going to allow people to somewhat choose what their taxes go towards. What their forcible force forcibly taken money. And now I didn't see what the Burnsville, where it was. I think it's in Minnesota, pretty sure. Uh, so innovation in government may be the best working definition of an oxymoron, but a concept under consideration by the Burnsville City Council may force skeptics to reconsider. The idea is to give local property taxpayers more direct control over the services their tax dollars fund in the city budget. Council members of the Twin Cities, okay, so it, it is up there, Council members of the Twin Cities suburb have been kicking around the proposal for months, according to the Star Tribune. So here's some of what would be in that. The property owners in Burnsville could get the power to earmark some of their tax dollars to individual city services, including police, fire, and parks. If the city council moves forward with the idea, Burnsville would be the first known city in the United States to implement this form of participatory budgeting, the city memo said, that it really comes down to whose money is it, said the city council member. Kara Schultz, who proposed discussing the change, I think the answer is it's the residents' money. No, Whoa. not just think. Wow. That's the answer. Not some, it's uh, quite literally their money. Yeah. Like you, you know, when you took that money from them, like it's pretty clear to see that it's their money. Mm -hmm. An analysis by city staff lays out the pros and cons of giving taxpayers the option of directing their money to specific city departments. Let's talk about the pros and cons of allowing people to choose where their money goes. <laughs> So the concept of participatory, participatory budgeting is both bold and adaptable. This is a unique approach to budgeting with no comparable example in the country. It allows property taxpayers direct involvement and impact in the budget process, and property owners may feel like they have more of a voice or impact on the budget. All those things would be pretty true. You would feel like you have more of an impact for sure. But the city analysis also underscored numerous practical concerns raised by the proposal, including the likely need for more staff to implement the system. <laughs> that's, that's what it was. It would be too inefficient, really. For example, in regards to respect and stewardship, there are, there are equity, legal, and operational challenges. Effectively and efficiency managing, efficiently managing the government budget by moving away from a representative process to direct involvement for direct property taxes payers. The practice may create haves and have-nots. This is one of the problems with allowing people to direct where their money is going. Mm -hmm. The practice might create haves and have-nots. Those who own property and therefore have direct involvement and those that do not. Amanda, so, Amanda you're ahead of the curve there. So the main, yeah. pr the main problem here that they see is that people who aren't paying the money in wouldn't have any say in what that money is used for. So people who don't pay won't have a say on what other people's money is used for. Yeah, that's an issue. That's, yeah. You got to give everyone equal representation on how to spend stolen money from people. Right. You know, it's their right. That's the only way the mafia remains nonviolent. <laughs> and then the other one, which is interesting, I, I, would, I would personally like them to come up with something for this, but the residents of apartments and business owners who rent space would not have an opportunity to participate. The apartments part is pretty interesting because... Part of your rent that you pay is part of the property tax 
itself. And if they could find a way to divide that for the apartment complex, to divide that among the people, because I'm not recommending that every single person go out and own property. I think renting is a pretty good idea a lot of times. And so if you are paying and a, and a percentage of the money that you're paying is meant to pay for property taxes, then you are in a way paying property taxes. We have to stick to that argument because when people raise property taxes, we say that this is going to hurt people who live in apartments because their rent's going to go up. Why don't they just make it a ranked choice voting scale Yeah, for budget line <laughs> items? That'd be fine. So, it, you know, for every, for every resident. Yeah. Most, guarantee you, most people aren't going to fill it out. Guaranteed, because mm-hmm. that's the way those things go. Most people aren't going to participate, and those that do participate, just make it like a ranked choice voting system. You know who is going to participate? The people who are paying the most money in property yeah, taxes. That's the that's exact who's going to fill it out. Yeah. Uh, other cities have contacted Burnsville to learn more about the so-called participatory budgeting. There's a long way to go before the council decides whether to approve it or not. Council member Dan Gustafson questions why it's needed since the council is already chosen by residents to make spending decisions. And the answer would be because not all of the residents paid in money towards the money that you're spending. So the, the, the idea would be that the people who actually pay in the money get more say in what that money is going to mm-hmm. be going towards. And, uh, and then he said, that's what we're elected to do. <laughs> they, the people without the money elected us <laughs> to spend other people's money. This is our job. Yeah. I'm against this. Okay. So I don't I think that that would be a really good idea for people to do it. It just makes sense. I think it's a step in the in the right in a right direction. It's uh, still not utopia, so to speak, but I think that's better than the current system. Mm-hmm. At least if your money's going to be stolen, having a say in where that stolen money goes is is better. Mm-hmm. I think all government operations should operate like charity. They should solicit for donations. You don't think people would, wouldn't donate to Medicare and Medicaid, you know? They would. You don't think they would donate to those programs? And, obvi- and then uh, they would be run way more efficiently. Mm-hmm. They would actually care where the money goes and how much money is coming in and where they're spending it and be, be completely efficient with it, like, like charitable organizations that uh, last have to do. Otherwise, they go under. So One of my favorite interviews was when uh, Ayn Ram was on Phil Donahue. And she was talking about this idea that government should be run voluntarily from voluntary donations. And the crowd started laughing and, because they knew that, the, that people wouldn't donate enough money to the government. And doesn't that tell you everything that you need to know? That the government doesn't provide the value that people are having to pay in towards it? And so what if you actually had a government that provided enough value that people did donate their money towards it? That they did actually voluntarily give money over to those services. This would be a, a much better way to do things, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Agreed. Y'all want to apologize to you. I, I had my second COVID shot mm. today, and I'm starting to feel some of them effects. Is this the one where yeah. they put the microchip in? Probably, because yeah. now I'm, I'm feeling worse. I, am, I feel pretty um, nauseous, mm. and I've got a headache. Mm. A headaches. Yeah. Well, it's not good to put metal directly so, in your body. So. I know. Yeah. My body's having trouble with it. So just want to apologize, but I can travel now. But apparently this one, uh, I was told, is not effective for 14 days, by the way. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not fully protected for another two whole, two whole weeks. Yeah. So I got to wait for that. And now you got that darn magnet sticking to your arm all the time. Mm-hmm. So All right. <laughs> this from Market Watch, y'all. 
Split Supreme Court leaves CDC's nationwide eviction moratorium in place. So the Supreme Court has done some good things lately and then now all of a sudden decided that, uh, yeah, the CDC can have purview over landlords (laughs) and banks. That's that's what we've devolved into. That's what the CDC was for. Yeah. Yeah. This, it's just the Center for Control. You know now. how they got the CDC to have this right, by the way? The CDC made the argument that if people were evicted, they could end up being forced to live in a situation where it was more crowded. They could move into a smaller space or they could have to share spaces with other people and that that would spread the disease more mm-hmm. if, they, if they did that. And so now the CDC has purview over making sure that people don't get evicted because if they get evicted, they might end up having to live with other people which would spread COVID. So now CDC has purview over people being able to rent or not rent or evict or not evict. Sounds like they should have purview over planes, trains, automobiles. Everything, yeah. Businesses, making sure people keep their distance. (laughs) I'm seeing seeing the Delta variant being drummed up on the the media now. You guys just watch out. I even saw yesterday they, they were talking about potential lockdowns. I'm so scared. For Delta. Delta lockdowns. Yeah, Delta lockdowns. All right, the Supreme Court is leaving a pandemic-inspired nationwide ban on evictions in place over the votes of four objecting conservative justices. Mm. Conservative justices. The court on Tuesday rejected a plea by landlords to end the CDC's moratorium on evicting millions of tenants who aren't paying rent during the coronavirus pandemic. Last week, the Biden administration extended the moratorium by a month until the end of the ju- end of July, it said then it did not expect another extension. But by the end of the July, I'm sure they'll that consider- Delta variant's going to be all over the place, yeah. and they'll have to extend it even further. Exactly. Yep. U.S. Judge Dabney Friedrich in Washington had struck down the moratorium as exceeding the CDC's authority, but put her ruling on hold. The High Court voted five to four to keep the ban in place. So five to four, folks. Close one. Who was the swaying justice, by uh, the way? Uh, none other than, than, than speak, y'all's conservative friend. Speaking of me, too. Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> In a brief opinion, Justice Brett Kavanaugh said he agreed with Friedrich's ruling. So, I, hey, I agree with you telling the CDC that they can't ban evictions. He, I agree. He agreed but, th- that the CDC does not have the authority yeah. to do this. But he's saying, this is like saying, I'm sorry, but, (laughs) but listen, I agree with you. You're right. But I get to make the choice. Voted to leave. He voted to leave the ban on evictions in place because it's due to end in a month. God. And because those few weeks will allow for additional and more orderly distribution of the congressionally appropriated rental assistance funds. This is the dumbest excuse that I've ever heard. He literally said, I agree that this is not constitutional, that the CDC does not have the authority to do this, but since they're only going to do it for another month, I'm going to allow them to keep doing it. That is the freaking most dumbass ruling I've ever heard in my life. He literally said that he agrees it's not constitutional, but he's going to keep it in place because there's only another month. That's freaking insane. It's like, look, I, I agree. All right. I was having sex with your wife. <laughs> I agree with you. It was wrong. It shouldn't have happened. But we were only going to do it for one more month, so I'm going to keep doing it for another month. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what 
Brett said. Yeah. <laughs> in the in the footnotes. Like you could you could come up with anything like that. It's like yeah, you know, I agree that the, the president shouldn't be dropping bombs, but he was only going to drop five more. So why stop him now? Let him drop the other five. You know what? It's, it's it, so insane to me. I agree it's against the law to hold that person hostage, but you said you're going to let him go next month. So I guess I'll just go ahead and let it go. Yeah. You know, which is actually pretty accurate considering they're kind of holding all the people who own property hostage right now. Yeah. Chief, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts and the court's three liberal members also voted to keep the moratorium in place. I thought John Roberts was also a conservative. Justices Samuel Alito, Amy Coney Barrett, ACB, Neil Gorshitz, and Clarence Thomas said they would have ended it. Mm. So there you go, folks. The Supreme Court issuing a ruling. Wonder how much Brett got paid for that one. This, <laughs> this has to be one of the most perplexing rulings I've came across where they, where they literally say that they agree that the thing is not constitutional, but since they're only going to do the unconstitutional thing for another month, it's fine. Yeah, we'll just let it's fine. Like, does he not realize that they're just going to extend it again? Yeah. It's crazy. That, oh. that bad Kavanaugh, bad job. Oh. Okay. Let's see here. You guys remember that thing that happened with Mumford and Sons? You know, the guy uh, Marshall, something Marshall, I don't know. He, he came out and he said that he admired uh, Andy Noe's courage for writing the book. You know, just a big right-wing extremist is really all he mm. is. You know, just real right-wing crazy, crazy person. <clears throat> He's doing something that's pretty cool, but Slate Magazine wants to tell him how stupid this is. And I just want to talk about whether or not it's good to stick to your principles. Mm. So, Well, because if not, who are you? They t- I know. They, they talk about how famous he is and how good he's done and, you know, probably the most successful banjo player ever. Then they go on to say, but Marshall, now 33, threw all of that away. Well, you didn't read the title. Oh, Mumford & Sons banjoist traded rock stardom for the allure of owning the libs. <laughs> this article is ridiculous. <laughs> I love it. On Thursday, he announced that he was quitting the band for good abandoning Mumford with his two remaining sons. <laughs> Marshall is not leaving because of creative differences, touring exhaustion, or any of the other classic vectors that pull a lucrative artistic collaboration apart. No, this banjoist wants to tweet, and he believes that his band was inhibiting that desire. He said, quote, I hope in distancing myself from them, I'm able to speak my mind without them suffering the consequences. I leave with love in my heart, and I wish those three boys nothing but the best. Mm-mm. Marshall found himself in hot water when he tweeted in solidarity with Andy No. Catch what they say about Andy No right here. He tweeted in solidarity with Andy No, a conservative journalist who has dedicated his career to the sensationalization of fringe Antifa groups. So Andy No has dedicated his career to, to just talking about these, the fringe Antifa groups, the ones that commit violence yeah. in the pursuit of their political goals. He talks about only those Antifa groups. He doesn't give any credence to the, to the mostly peaceful Antifa no, groups. No, not at all. No. Okay, so that's what it... No is single-handedly responsible for convincing Fox <laughs> viewers across America that they are being hunted by Kabbalistic existentially threatening network of communist agitators. Single-handedly! Just him. If it weren't for Andy No taking videos of people assaulting other people and setting stuff on fire, we'd have no idea what Antifa was doing. It's only yeah. Andy No that has made all of us realize how terrible, well, made all of us think 
that Antifa is terrible because mm-hmm. if it weren't for him, we'd realize that they are a mostly peaceful group that is just trying to get out the vote. <laughs> That's all they're doing. <laughs> and the inventor of a camera. Yeah. Without that, he wouldn't have all that video evidence. Yeah. But close observers know that the start of Marshall's radical- radicalization goes back much further. Ooh, here's the real crazy thing he did. In 2018, Marshall invited Jordan Peterson. Mm a Canadian psychologist who has found a windfall of fame by expressing some questionable beliefs about the sanctity of masculinity to the band's recording studio. Uh Uh-oh. That incident caused a similar backlash when Peterson uploaded a photo of him and the group to his Instagram account, and Marshall immediately went on the defensive. Clearly, Marshall found the answer to his question. He has firmly taken the leap into the political strata throwing his hat into the ring as yet another exhausting personality within that inscrutable symposium of center-right weirdos who can't stop concern trolling about the perils of wokeness. He he says nothing in this article to contradict any points. No. Make any debate or anything like that. No. It's just more gaslighting. It it is. is. It's like, oh, you think Antifa's this crazy communist group committing violence all around the country? You're crazy. You're crazy. You've just been what you've just been watching the wrong people. That's not who they are. You're crazy, man. You're crazy, you, man. You're crazy. I I like you, but you're crazy. Marshall, of course, is permitted to believe in all of his faulty theories, <laughs> and he'll likely fail upward from here. Fail upward from here. But there is also something instructive about Marshall's diction. He writes with a certain satisfied gravitas as if he's living on the edge of unmuzzling his social media accounts and rebuking the radical left. That's in all caps. You got to say it like you're yelling. It's high time. Now, they want to tell you that it's not a good thing to talk about all this, okay? Now, they can talk about it. They can have a whole website where they talk about Mm -hmm. this all the time, and people read them, and they make money off of it and everything. But they say it's time to take this mindset down. There's nothing brave or provocative about making posts on the internet. Unless, of course, you end up losing them multi-millions of dollars because you end up posting and then you uh, have to quit a band so you can mm-hmm. let the band keep uh, playing shows and all that. It seems pretty, pretty brave, in my opinion, although he did kind of apologize afterwards, but he is making the right decision here. If he stopped posting at will, writes Marshall, it would erode his sense of integrity and gnaw his conscience. And this person says, trust me, dude, it's not that deep. Let's <laughs> talk about that for a minute. You know, he, he made this decision to quit a band that is, I think, still successful. I don't know. They're still successful? Pro- I mean, I they, mean, probably still They probably sell still tickets. play some big shows and yeah. stuff. I mean, you would think Mumford & Sons, people still know, know them. Yeah. and They're Maybe not as successful as they were 10 years ago, but... So I'll finish up here because they make a little bit, they make a little bit more points on this, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the overall point here. Commentators like Jordan Peterson preach a lot about the supposedly precarious state of free speech. The argument goes that if a population is constantly facing real-world ramifications for what they post online, then the First Amendment isn't working as intended. They say that's true, in a sense, but what's also true is that nobody needs to know your take about everything. You know, here's the deal. It's true that you might get in trouble for the things that you say, but no one needs to know what you think about things. Yeah. Just let us take care of that. There's plenty of people doing all this thought yeah, for you. Let us get the thoughts out there. Mm. You're just a part of the community and us, the, the upper crust level of the society will do the talking for you. 
based on the amount of clicks and money we make off of the, <laughs> off of the articles. That's what we'll do. Billions of people around the globe swallow up their unfiltered opinions every day. We do that to stay employed, stay polite, and keep our social contract afloat. There's that Galdern social contract again that I don't have in writing, so I think the Pennsylvania High Court's going to end up getting rid of that thing sometime. The instinct to break that code of conduct, that code of conduct, by the way, is not speaking your mind about things. That's yeah. the code of conduct they're yeah. talking about. So the instinct to break that code of conduct, to exchange the banjo for an Andy No book, <laughs> and broadcast your convictions to the universe, is a very 21st century phenomenon. You see, no one ever risked everything to speak their mind about things before we had Twitter and Facebook and all that. You go back through history, and the history of America is filled with people who just fell in line and never risked anything to speak their mind about things at all. They hid and sobbed yeah, and just went on their merry way conforming mm -hmm. to the rules and regulations so that they could keep the social construct alive. That's how we... Uh, that's how we uh, got America in the first place, yeah. was a bunch of people just keeping their mouths shut. That's how, we got you, the, that's how we got the civil rights movement, was a bunch of people keeping their mouths shut about stuff. You last know? time I checked, you don't rock the canoe. You, you don't. Actually, let me tell you a personal story on that. I almost uh, died on a canoe one time mm. when I was in Montana on a really nice lake from what I barely remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, my first time in a canoe, it had started storming. I cast a line out because I was fishing. The friend I was with also cast her line out at the same time and just, whoop, there goes the boat right there. Mm -hmm. Now, the water was like 40 degrees. It was cold. It was really cold water. And we were in the middle of a lake and no one else was out there. We were the only people in this little part of the lake right there. We tried to get the boat turned back over, couldn't do it. So we ended up having to like hold on to the boat and paddle and, and swim. And I lost my phone and I lost all kinds of stuff when I was oh, doing it. Man. And we got back to the shore. And we were freezing, shivering, like hypothermic almost. Mm. And a couple hours later, because I passed out drunk. <laughs> <laughs> a couple hours later, the people who rented us the canoe came out looking and, uh, and found us and, and said that we were very lucky to be there, that they assumed that we were going to be dead when they saw the boat flipped over. Oh, so, man. Anyway. Well, I'm unsubscribing now. Yeah. Thanks. Well, uh, we, we told that story. So. Thanks for that personal story. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, the idea was that if you get Everclear, you won't have to buy as much vodka. <laughs> and the problem is you have to remember that you can't just drink it like, like normal uh, vodka. You know, I'm not saying it was the best idea ever in the world, but it was tested, and I wouldn't recommend it, honestly. Anyway, they go on to say, <laughs> the sweet, psychotic joys of posting are never worth detonating the career over. There's a better way, Marshall, and it starts by clicking the log off button. Yeah. Mm. Just, just conform. So just, just shut up? Yeah. Uh, somebody in the group said, shut up and sing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see this all the time, but um, I, I have, if, if you would indulge me, <clears throat> Nate, you would so kindly indulge me. I have a personal story. Okay. I uh, helped start a company that did uh, travel excursions in foreign nations, and uh, they're still doing really well, by the way. And it came time for the other founders of the company to approach me and say, hey, uh, we don't like all this, or not, not necessarily that we don't like, but they said, hey, um, there's all this 
posting and stuff that's going on and we're afraid that it might hurt our customer base. Which is fair enough because most people, you know, if you think about the the hiking excursion crowd, mm-hmm. they're pretty Patagonia, yeah. you know, North Face. Yeah. Pretty, pretty crunchy. crunchy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, which is fine if you want to be that way. I no problem with that at all. I, I enjoy myself a, a hike or two every once in a while, especially in, you know, beautiful foreign nations that you don't get to see very often. And I had a decision to make. And I, I said, uh, this is when we were first starting Good Morning Liberty. And I was like, I, I cannot go against my convictions. I feel convicted that this message has to get out there, that I have to do everything in my power to try to come every single day and bring the heat on Liberty. Yeah. And I, and I, or went, my, <laughs> I, I so, for yeah. So I, the start, I this- left the shares or, or I, or I, I was bought out essentially yeah. because I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my talents elsewhere. So you That's- gave up a successful, profitable company mm-hmm. to at the time they weren't really good profitable, but they were starting to. Yeah. yeah. The revenue was going up anyway. Yeah. Revenue was going up. So you guys years, could have yeah. been trading for like a thousand bucks a share. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> And yeah, so I had to leave because, because here's the thing, you know, again, you and I were talking about this the other night at dinner. If you compromise who you are, well, then you're just setting the stage for another, uh, excuse me, Auschwitz to happen for another Google, for other gulags to be set up and be like, well, you know, as long as I can stay quiet and I can keep my family quiet, we'll be safe. No one's going to take us to the gulag. Mm. You know, Jimmy, shut your mouth. Don't say anything. So we don't get in trouble. This is the lie of omission, right? And if you don't speak out against what you believe to be truly wrong, even if you are yourself wrong, if you don't speak out, if you don't have freedom of speech, if you, if you just go along to get along and you lie to yourself, lie to who you truly are, that's how those types of things happen. And I think Jordan Peterson's 100% correct on that. One, I've never seen anyone else articulate the... The beginnings of tyranny, like Jordan Peterson has. And I think he's, and he gets it from Alexander Solzhenitsyn that said, you know, the one thing that started the entire revolution and the communist and all the, the gulags and terrible things that happened in Russia was, it was started on a single lie. Mm-hmm. People not being true to who you are. And you, not, only, not only do the people around you not deserve for you to lie, but you don't, does, you, you shouldn't do it to yourself. You should be true to who you are. Stand up for what you believe in, regardless of the consequences that come down the line. And know that at the end of the day, you can lay your rest, you can lay your head easy to rest at night, knowing that you made the right decision. And even if that puts you in a place um, that wouldn't be societally acceptable currently. Um, I'm sorry. I was reading some of the, you, you lost the argument because you brought up Nazis. So I didn't say Nazis. I said Auschwitz. I mean that, yeah. you know, same thing, but the principle, I said, if you would forgive me because you have to take that. The principle is I will deny what I really think about this to go. I will go along to get along and I won't speak out about things that I think are terrible that are happening. We're obviously not at a prison camp stage right now. That's, that's not what uh, Charlie's saying there, but that mentality 
that principle itself, which is that I'm going to stay quiet because it's better for me and I can continue to live a better life, that principle, taken all the way to its logical conclusion, is what ends up leading to the really terrible things that we've seen in history. And so that's why you can't break on your principles because that is the mentality. And you think, you think well, when it gets bad enough, I, I won't do this anymore. Then I'll talk about it then. But you don't want to let it get to that point. You don't want to let it get that bad. And so you, you have to speak out when you see terrible things going on. So anyway, even after doing the thing with Andy Noen and kind of apologizing for it, uh, I think he made what is a really cool and brave decision by quitting the band and deciding that he wanted to be able to speak freely about the stuff that he believes. So I think that's cool. That's amazing. It's a good and example. Another thing Jordan Peterson is right about, I think, is, is um, speaking that truth. And also when he talks about, see, this is where, I'm sorry, my mind literally went blank. Yeah. That's okay. Do you guys have time for a complicated conversation about reparations? Because <laughs> we have one more story. The Bill Cosby thing pushed this one back. I really bit. apologize. That feels weird. And I don't yeah. know if this is from the shot itself, but I literally... Charlie's losing his mind right I, now. I went to talk about something and it, it disappeared. So watch out, folks. Do you want me to do the next article or yeah. are you losing your mind? Okay. No, I, I can read. Can, can, can you still, still read good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about this real quick. Coming from Vice News. Um, Amer- I had a really good point too, but I, and obviously it's not well, there. It anymore. wasn't that good from vice America's first black billionaire wants his reparations check now. And this is coming from vice. This, what's that old Casino. commercial? It's my money and I want it now. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Johnson. J- JG Wentworth. Yeah. Robert Johnson, Bobby Johnson here, the founder of <laughs> BET and America's first black billionaire wants a check. He wants it from the government, and he wants it to come with an apology for slavery, Jim Crow, and hundreds of years of racism. The 75-year-old media magnet owns several homes, heads an asset management firm, and was the first black person to own a majority stake in an NBA team. He sees a new kind of reparations being called by a different name so as not to be divisive or controversial happening already. The new reparations it's, is critical race theory education. It's the housing grant program in Evanston, Illinois. It's the $5 billion of targeted support and debt relief for black farmers, which they put a pause on. (laughs) And it's the $50 billion in corporate pledges in the wake of George Floyd's murder dedicated to combating systemic racism and inequality. Quote, that's what's happening to the reparations. It's been cut up into small pieces of things and looks and feels like we want to end systemic racism. We want to end police brutality and shootings and provide financing to black small business owners, Johnson said. Continuing on here, and then people can say, well, we really don't need reparations because when you put all these things together, it's reparations. It's not just one big bill or asking this country to stand up and apologize, and you're not asking people to pay out of their paychecks. Johnson calls the current approach placebo paternalism. (laughs) Just doing a few little things to make yourself feel good, but it's it's not real reparations here. He says reparations have uh, had two components. The first was atonement and the other was monetary. He adds with no doubt whatsoever, it was supposed to come from the government representing the people of the country. It was reimbursement or uh, recompense, if you will, for the harm. We are still in a mode of building more will for education, for engagement, for the work to actually help people better understand the problem, says Rashad Robinson, president of color of change. 
Much of that education needs to be dedicated to ensuring that reparations is an investment program rather than a charity program, Johnson argues. And that means wealthy and famous black Americans like himself, he also names Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James, also should be paid. He literally mentioned Oprah Winfrey and LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Yeah. But I mean, I guess you, if there are reparations, I mean, yeah. technically every, everyone would be owed the same check. So three billionaires and one almost billionaire. <laughs> it just makes good business sense to put capital in the hands of those who have shown they know how to put it to work, he says. If a government program is to be successful economic stimulus that repairs black communities. How much is he asking for, by the way? He's continuing to push for a $14 trillion reparations proposal, he said, would provide enough to close the black-white wealth gap that exists through home ownership, wages, and occupational attainment, among other imbalances, though he's not exactly optimistic. Reparations would require the entire country to admit that the result of slavery has been 200 years of systemic racism, and for that reason, black folks have been denied 13 to $15 trillion of wealth and therefore, we as a country now must atone by paying black people of all stripes, the rich ones, the poor ones in the middle, out of your pocket, Johnson says. He's, I like how you changed that, but he said out of our pocket. And what he uh, means out of is, our pocket. Yeah, <clears throat> what sorry. he means is out of your pocket. <laughs> so yeah. that was a, a nice slip up there. Freudian slip <clears throat> there. Just a little bit. Subconsciously knew exactly yeah. what he was talking about. So the $14 trillion he's talking about here. My first question would be, there's a, well, there's a point he makes before that. Here's the reason he says that the, that the rich black Americans should still get the reparations check. He said, because it makes sense to put capital in the hands of those who have shown they know how to put it to work. If a government program is to be a successful economic stimulus that repairs black communities. So he's saying the best way actually to do this thing that's going to repair the black communities is to put money in the hands of people that are good at investing that money. Yeah. So that is an interesting point to make. He is a businessman after all. Okay. So uh, that is a great point. A billionaire after <clears throat> all. Yeah. And I, I wish people would realize that that is actually the best thing to do is to keep the capital in the hands of people who have shown that they know how to put that capital to work. Uh, the other thing is he's asking that for $14 trillion, and I've seen this study a lot, that uh, if you calculate everything out, it's roughly this 13 to 15 trillion dollars of wealth that there would have been there's one there's a little problem with that one the government doesn't have any money okay they got about negative 29 trillion dollars mm -hmm. this would be a totally different conversation by the way if the government were say sitting on a massive surplus or if the government had made nice government investments and had reaped a bunch of benefits off of that and they had these nice government accounts that had trillions of dollars in them, and they were able to do this without <clears throat> continuing to take money from everyone, that would be a little bit different conversation. I still, I still wouldn't fully support it, but that would at least be a different conversation because now what you're talking about is making current and future Americans, generations of Americans, pay for things that people generations ago did that were really bad. And so... Who is it that you're actually punishing for what happened a couple hundred years ago or what happened during the Jim Crow era and all that? Also, I know where your 14 trillion is. Where's that? The government already spent it. Yeah, it's gone. Just so you know, they've taken over a hundred trillion dollars in taxes since they started in implementing taxes, by With, the way. Without inflation. That's without inflation. Trillion. Yeah. So if you, if you, if you incorporate inflation, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot. Okay. 
So that, mm, that 14 trillion, that's only 14% of the hundred trillion they've already taken. So it looks like you're, you're asking the wrong people that, that, well, I guess he's asking the government to do it, but so the government should come back and be like, yeah, we spent that. Ugh, sorry. So you gotta, we kinda, got it from him. You got to have kind of two sides of this conversation where one, you could say, is it true that because of slavery and Jim Crow eras and all the separation, all of the uh, segregation, all of that, that there are a lot of, uh, that there are a lot of black people who are in a worse situation right now than they would have otherwise been. If it weren't for all of those government laws that were holding people down over that amount of time, is it true that there would actually be a lot more wealth uh, in, the, in the black community? And it probably is true that people would have been able to grow more wealth over that time had they been allowed to. And so you can have that side of the conversation. But then you also have to have the side of the conversation that is, okay, so who are you going to take that money from to pay back that? Because the, the families the, that had farms or inherited yeah. farms from the slavery days. And that's it. You'd have to trace it back to who has, who still today is directly financially benefiting from uh, actually having slaves, something like that. Like, is there wealth? And I'm not talking about, well, all white people benefited because of what happened with slavery. That's, I'm talking about, are there actual people? Is there a store of wealth? maybe some of the colleges or something like that that have these, these giant funds. Who is it that actually has this wealth uh, that, that directly benefited from, from slavery? And you could talk about that amount of money, but you're still not going to be able to allocate it properly. Uh, and then you also have to realize that they're talking about giving this, this amount to every single person who is black, and then you have to realize that not every single black family would have made a lot of wealth that a lot of people still would have ended up poor because a lot of people end up poor still. So like most people still would have just been in a middle class or lower class lifestyle and just giving everyone $50,000 or whatever it's going to be, $100,000 or whatever it's going to be, would actually be a financial windfall that they might not have ever earned because there's no proof that people would have just automatically had this money in the first place. A lot of people, even if they had the chance, would have still been poor. Mm -hmm. So then there's people that are going to get money that, that wouldn't even be owed to them because they still would have been poor. And then the main thing is, where's the money going to come from? That's where the whole thing comes down to because we can make a moral case for, uh, for people being owed this money that they're probably short because of what happened. But you can't make a moral case for taking that money from my mom and then giving it to someone else. You can't, you cannot make that moral case because we grew up without a lot of money. You guys know this personal stories, obviously, and there's no moral case you can make to where she should be punished for this through higher taxes or through more inflation or where other people who are struggling or who are trying to make their ways and, and actually benefit, they came from nothing. So they don't really have any benefit from what happened, that those people should be punished and have money taken from them. So there's, there's a big conflict here, and at the end of the day, you have to ask, how are you going to take the money? Is it going to be through force? It is going to be through force. Did those people personally do something that was terrible to another person? Did they hold slaves? No, they didn't. And so while you can still make the moral case about reparations in general, you can't make the moral case for punishing future people for what people in the past did, in my Amen. opinion. Amen. That's, that's, that's all I got.
So, well, that's it. We're at 55 minutes now. I think that was a great episode. Yes. Despite my uh, kerfuffle I had in the middle of it. So, again, I apologize for that, y'all. We'll we'll keep a watch on this COVID vaccine trial that I'm in, uh, considering I just had my second shot today. And, you know, I'm feeling this this one's worse. Uh, My arm is sore. I'm a little queasy. And it seems that I've lost all brain control, being overtaken by something right now. Yeah. It's flowing through my blood veins, okay? If not, y'all enjoy- the, not your other veins, the yeah, blood ones. That's the blood ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if y'all enjoyed today's show, which I know you did, then please, as I told you at the very beginning, hit that subscribe button and very, um, it would be so kind of you to do that and share the show with a friend. That's a free way to support us. You don't even have to spend $5 in the Patreon store at patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. You could just share the show with a friend. It's free. It doesn't take much time. It's fun to do, and if you share it with the children, they'll learn liberty as they grow up, mm. okay? And that's mm. where we got to start. It's a grassroots children's campaign, okay? <laughs> and So is the children. Well, I, you got you to make it about the children. You gotta, when, they're, when they're young and they're impressionable minds, Yeah, you've got to plant the seed of liberty for it to grow into a Ron Paul supporter <laughs> by the time it's 18, okay? Yeah. Share it with your friends, your family, your enemies, your loved ones, your aunts, your uncles, cousins, brothers, and Uncle Trickle. Uh, if you do all of that. <laughs> Who the hell is Uncle Trickle? Oh, you didn't see Uncle Trickle the other day? In, no. In the live group? No. Trickle D? No. Yeah. She, okay. anou- she announced herself as Uncle Trickle. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. So if you guys do all of that, we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you have a good day and a good morning. Liberty. Liberty.